Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Spotrac. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. And Keith, we've got a great gambit today. Jalen Brown extension, Atlantic recap and the Pacific recap that you've done. First, I hope you had an enjoyable vacation. You were able to uh, unplug for a bit. Yeah, I did. It, it was really nice. So it was it was interesting. I uh, you know I know we're we're going to talk about the Jalen Brown extension, and I learned about that like old school way. Like I turned on Sports Center one morning, and that was the lead story. And it, it was kind of kind of fun in that way. With um, you know, to 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 find out that, and then watch them discuss it and talk about it through throughout the course of time, rather than you know just seeing a tweet come by. So, but you know, for the most part, we 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 ate well, we relaxed, we disconnected and enjoyed some family time. So it was uh, much needed and much uh, well enjoyed. Yeah, we all need that for sure. Jalen Brown extension, as you mentioned, you saw this old school way. It finally is done. It is locked in. We have the quote unquote potential numbers based on the the cap. Uh, so it's, it ends up being as we are putting it in as Five for 288 because we're basing it off of the $142 million cap. But I'm going to let you go from there because I know you would like to dispel the media reporting versus why we're going with the five for 288. Yeah, this one was kind of interesting in the sense of the way it all came together because, as I said, you know, I'm sitting in the middle of the the ocean on a cruise ship and i'm like 300 million where where is this coming from so uh, i admittedly i brought my laptop and i pulled it out and and i started doing some math and then i was like oh they're reporting this as if the cap is going to go up 10 percent again and now here's the challenge right and what the, it, nobody did anything wrong here right so we're not calling out any kind of you know necessarily wrong reporting or anything like that but the nba issues a projection for the cap every year and then they'll update it as necessary uh, throughout the year and one of the projections for the next season's cap that they've issued is 142 million that's a pretty modest uh, bump of only about 4.4 percent now i will completely openly own multiple people around the league are like there's no way it's going to be that small like that there a lot of people think it's going to be uh, at a minimum eight percent if not closer to that maximum ten percent it just as a reminder it's maximum ten percent because that's what they agreed to with the cap smoothing uh, in the cba so it'll be ten percent if it should have been twelve percent that additional two percent gets dropped into the next year and into the next year until it ultimately all catches up so when you look at Jalen Brown to get to the reported $304 million, uh, that would need to be 35% of a cap. That is, you know, not what the NBA is projecting. <laughs> so, um, so what happens with, with that situation is he ends up landing in a spot where it would be, uh, you know, 52.4 million in first year salary. And those are the numbers that people have kind of attached to is 52 million in the $304 million. Now in the end, does it really matter? No, not all that much. Right. But the reality is it's just another example of, Hey, be careful on these initial numbers because that may not be what it is. And one of the things that we look at 
is we go off of what the official projections are that were provided. That's why we're at $288 million and $49.7 million. Now, the reality is probably land somewhere in between those two, maybe even slightly. Uh, well, I guess it won't be north of that $304 million because that's the max 10%, but it'll land somewhere in between those two numbers. But we, we want to be accurate with what the league has provided, what the league is pushing everyone to use for their projections, and they, they have reasons for that that we probably don't really need to get into here why they're projecting a slightly lower uh, raise than the max 10%. And that's kind of where we're at for now. And there's no options. There is a trade bonus. So I went back and looked at all the designated veteran extensions that have been in the last, uh, since the existence. And Jalen Brown is the only second person to not have a player option outside of Devin Booker from previous year so uh, that is one interesting aspect where he ended up getting no options and the trade bonus that he had is lesser of seven percent or seven million dollars whereas most of the other designated veteran extensions were ten percent or fifteen percent and so my question is with the trade bonus are there specific rules that they have to follow? Because Jalen Brown's is more unique than all the other designated veteran extensions. Yeah. And there, there are rules They're They're not, um, you know, hard and fast on the low end. Cause obviously a lot of contracts include no trade bonus. Um, but the maximum is 15% is what, what is allowable um, on there. So you can't go any higher than 15%. In the case of Jalen Brown, what we're starting to see sometimes with some of these guys on these um, max uh, deals is you're seeing them for a little while when these first came into play about uh, five, six-ish years ago. They were, they'd almost kind of gone away, um, they, these trade bonuses, because everybody looked at it and said, well, you're, you're so far above the max anyway, it'll never come into play. Now what you're seeing is, and again, assumptions being cap will go up 10% in most years of the life of these contracts, whereas the raises are only 8%, it does leave a little bit of wiggle room to add a trade bonus in there. So what we're starting to see now is they're, they're coming back in, in vogue. In Jalen Brown, the number seven has significance for him. It's his jersey number with the Celtics. He's done a lot of stuff with his businesses and foundation around the number seven, or at least a stylized number seven um, with, with the way he does things. So that seems to be to me where where they kind of landed on this. His contract actually has um upfront payments that are you know based on the number seven and and all these sorts of things that that are in there. So what they agreed to in this deal is he gets either seven percent or he gets uh seven million dollars, whatever the lesser is of that. And and ultimately what it'll probably be if he was to be traded in the you know uh, second year of this deal, it'd probably actually be be less than that anyway because i don't know that that will get him quite uh to to his max number because he still does max out at whatever his max salary would be that year so that that's just you know a way they did that most are like you said 10 or 15 percent we get the occasional locked in number where it might be a two million dollar trade bonus and that's just you know what it's going to be but in this case for for jalen brown it's the lesser of seven percent or the seven million dollars 
is there a uh, no let me rephrase that there's a reason why you said year two Jalen Brown is no longer trade eligible for the first year is that correct that is correct. Once a player signs one of these designated uh, veteran extensions, they have a one-year trade restriction. It is not a one-year no-trade clause like like we've seen with uh, players who have who have had offer sheets matched. So in this case, uh, this summer that would be Paul Reed had an offer sheet matched, or last year's DeAndre Ayton, where they can block any trade. This is a trade restriction, so it doesn't matter if the Brown or the Celtics wants a trade they're attached to each other for the next year. And it's almost kind of like the next two years. And the reason why I say that is this deal gets signed very late. It gets signed on July 26th. So generally by the time we get to that point in the off season, most of the big moves are done. And I say that knowing Damian Lillard still floating out there, James Harden still out there in trade rumors and all those sorts of things. But the reality is most deals are are completed within the first couple of weeks of free agency opening at the beginning part of July. So what happens now is it's kind of interesting that one can't be traded at all this current season. That no trade uh, restriction will ca- will carry over uh, to July 26th, and most of the you know major offseason moves will be complete by then. So that does make it a little interesting that we could kind of see this saying, "Hey, for at least the next two years, you're you're kind of attached," or you know where things really go south just one year into this extension. Uh, what could happen is this could be a um, uh, situation where we start to see it turn into all right well we're we're gonna you know look at a trade a trade options or whatever it may be um then it may turn into like a damian lillard thing where this is dragging into august and beyond yeah timing is everything and in your breakdown with the that you did for brown's extension here you even allude to it too timing is everything in the nba i've been saying for years when i've been on talking with mike um on the spot track podcast just timing is everything and now that this is deep into july you're right it 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 almost pushes it to the following year but you know it it could be that uh, the dominoes fall and he could be gone in august of next year if things work out you know we we haven't seen what is going to happen with damian lillard yet but so that leads into what does this mean for boston's future then yeah, I mean they're they're super expensive. They're they're already super expensive, and they're only going to be more, uh, <clears throat> more super expensive, super expensive. I I don't know how to phrase that correctly, but but they're they're going to be one of the more expensive rosters in the league. So what you've got is right now we're projecting for next season. So this upcoming season, remember Brown's still on his thirty one point eight million dollar contract. Um, because that's the final year of his deal. So we're talking about the 24-25 season. This is what's on the books for Boston. Brown at 49.7, Tatum at 34.8 million. That is the final year um, guaranteed locked in year because of his uh, extension he signed. Uh, he has a player option the following year, which he's expected to opt out of and will likely extend, uh, much like Brown did. Then beyond those guys, you've got Kristaps Porzingis at $29.3 million. That's the first year of the extension he signed uh, with Boston. After getting traded there, he added uh, two years and $60 million. Malcolm Brogdon, $22.5 million. Uh, Derek White, $19.5 million. Robert Williams, $12.4 million. 
Those are all their double-digit salaries. Then you have Al Horford at $9.5 million. So with the Celtics, you're in a position now where just the guys who are you know, really probably going to be on this roster next year, whether it be through uh, you know, uh, having their option exercised or whatever it may be, they're already at $186.5 million. Now, we said the cap is projected to be $142 million. The tax line, $172.5 million. Luxury tax apron, about $180 million. So you're already over the tax apron. You're pushing up against that, that second apron at $190 uh, or so million. And that's with only 11 guys under contract. So once you fill out the roster, you're going to be well uh, past that, that second apron, which means they're going to be limited too because now everything kicks in in full. Uh, next season, right? Every single uh, restriction comes in full for the 24-25 season uh, against all these super expensive teams. They will be limited to signing uh, minimum contracts, signing their own draft picks, and then making trades that are one-for-one salary matches, including only one player can be sent out uh, in the trade. Um, They can't aggregate salaries together. So it's not like they could take... uh, I'm just making it up, but Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon put them together and go trade for a $40 million player. That wouldn't be allowed uh, because you're not allowed to aggregate salaries together in a trade uh, moving forward. So th- this year is you know, kind of a big year for Boston. If they're going to do anything major, look for it to happen between now and the trade deadline if they're going to make any kind of major uh, adjustments here. And then from there, it's going to be you know pretty expensive team, and that's likely to carry at least a couple more seasons uh, as we go down the line. Because what you're going to see then is Jason Tatum will agree to a deal, uh, at least Boston hopes, much like what Jalen Brown did. That'll be start around probably fifty-five million dollars, just shy of that. So now you'll have Brown, Tatum, Porzingis all in the books. That'll be well over one hundred and thirty-five, hundred and forty million. They're hopeful to get Derek White signed to an extension. And they've got one more year with Robert Williams. So they're going to be pushing up against that super tax for the at least the next, probably, let's say, through the 25-26 season. Then we'll see what it looks like after that when Porzingis' uh, contract comes off the books and, and the cap continues to rise. Then they may have a little bit more flexibility. But for now, Boston's going to be one of the more expensive teams in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a team for sure that they they want to operate in the now, but they have to look two, three years out and sort of do what the Lakers did last season where they did their pre-agency and acquired what they could and then they just re-signed their own because then they don't have to deal with all the the gymnastics that they're going to have to deal with in the next two or three years like you just laid out. Yeah, exactly. And you're you're gonna see them do that. You're gonna see, you know, Milwaukee's in this type of situation as well, where they, they project to be a very expensive team. We'll see, you know, obviously the Warriors and Clippers have been in that spot. We'll see what Philadelphia, Miami, what they maybe look like. Um, you know, if they make uh their, their trades for Harden and if the Heat can complete a trade to acquire uh Damian Lillard. It's it's gonna be really, really expensive uh to put these teams together and to build it all out as they move things forward just because of where every 
everything kind of sits uh, with this new uh, super tax as being kind of a new new component of all of this, which was, uh, you know, everybody's kind of kind of figuring it out and learning on the fly. And obviously the Phoenix Suns, I, I didn't mention them, but they're they're so far over for the next couple of years. They can't even see those lines anymore. <laughs> but I, I have to say, from Boston's standpoint, I'd rather be in this predicament than being in a predicament where you're just locked in with horrible contracts or whatever. Uh, you at least have two superstars that you know you can move forward with. And if they can, Jalen Brown can take his, uh, his game to the next level, then this is a, a win-win for him and for the Celtics. And so I would definitely rather be in this predicament. And if I have to move off of him in year two or three, because things just go south for some reason, then you move on from him and you at least have a large salary that you could bring back some pieces mm-hmm. um, with that. But I, I would rather be in this predicament than some other one uh, because, you know, those superstars are – Far and few between, even though, you know, we're talking about Phoenix and then Boston having the, the, the cream of the crop right now. Um, so I, with that being said, what does this mean for the rest of the league? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you saw a lot of the talking heads come out and say like, oh, this is going to change everything in the NBA and all this stuff. And I don't think it really changes anything. I, I think everyone in the NBA realizes the way these contracts work. It's, you know, Jalen Brown, it was just his time, right? He he hit, you know, extension eligibility at a point where we've seen, you know, massive cap growth over the last uh, several seasons. And, you know, even if it's, you know, only the 4.4% bump that they're projecting for next year, still, you know, that's going to push him right in the range of, you know, just under $50 million. Obviously, if it's over, he'll get more than that. And by the end of his deal, he'll be making $70 million. But it's just, that's the way it is right now. You know, someone else is going to come along and that's going to knock this deal off. As, you know, this is for a moment in time here in this little window uh, this is the the most expensive contract in, in the NBA. Then you know we, we'll see. You know, well, there's already rumors Anthony Davis could uh, have an extension offer. You know, maybe as soon as this week coming his way, and he could uh, bump this off. Kawhi Leonard's got in a spot where he's you know get extension uh, eligibility coming up. So we may be in a spot where we see you know all of a sudden these guys are. You know, they're just, you know, in a way, they're just wiping out the guy who came before them as far as, you know, these monster contracts, because that's just kind of how it works. So I don't I don't get the sense on, you know, well, all these other guys are looking and saying, oh, Jalen Brown got that much. And he's, you know, top 20 guy, maybe top 25 guy, maybe, you know, then I'm a top 10 guy. I need to you know double that. I, guys know they can't. That's not how it works. You're you're limited to. You know, there are max salary constraints in place. And everybody just kind of looks at it and says, yeah, it's the timing. Here we go. This is what it is. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, it's no different than in the NFL where it's next man up. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Jalen Hurts gets his contract, then the next, next, the next. And, you know, yeah. now we're waiting for Joe Burrow after Herbert did it. So no different in, in the NBA where Jalen Brown signs his. And then because, like you said, the, the rules – uh, it's it's just going to be next man up because the cap's going to go up and you know it, it, 
he he's the highest for a uh, a blip in time. Yep. Which, you know, some athletes that's all they care about having that blip in time just to be talked about. So um, we shall see with that. Um, the point you made in your article, I, I want to emphasize it because I know you emphasized it just as much at the, at the very end. We really need to start talking more about the percentage of the value, not just the monetary value. You know, Jalen Brown is 35% when it kicks in of whatever the cap is, which is the same as 35% from five years ago. Yep. It's still 35%. It's just higher because of inflation, because of growth. And, you know, like, like you said, the, the numbers, yes, they're, you know, absurd as far as the, the layman that's listening and, and that's out there. You know, you talk about $50 million and we all do the eyeball emoji. Um, but we, from a business financial standpoint, we really need to start referencing just the percentage to a certain extent, especially when we're comparing Jalen Brown to other designated veterans, because, you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, the numbers are only going to go up and get worse and worse as far as the large value, because 35% of the cap is always going to be astronomical when we're talking about the cap is going up 10% every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as I laid out in the piece, we're only a few years away, about five seasons away from having a cap that is $200 million. So when we get there, the 35%, max salary in that season will be $72.7 million. That's $22 million more than Jalen Brown if the cap goes up 10% this year. And if the cap continues to, if it goes up 10% this year, and then it's 10% off that, that first year salary is going to be closer to $75 million. Final year salary in that season will be $100 million. It's just kind of where it is. And the point that I made on this is, you know, that sounds crazy, right? $72.7 million in one, one year, but it's 35% of the cap. Jalen Brown, 35% of the cap. It's 497 right now. Russell Westbrook, when he signed his in 2018, 35% of the cap got him $35.6 million because the cap was just over $100 million. We're talking in a you know 10-year period, the NBA salary cap is likely to double. Like It is likely to double to go up, you know, almost twice, you know, what it was, if not more. So, so that's the thing. And that's why, you know, you've done great work on the site to add percentage of the cap to every single deal that we have. And that's what, you know, we're trying to get people to refocus is, you know, you can't just throw around 300 million and 50 million and say, well, that's what it is because it is true. Those are massive numbers and they at some point these numbers get to be like monopoly money right they don't even feel real anymore but the reality is you know 300 million and 50 million that's just what what it is today you know going you know august 1st 2023 as we we record this that's what it projects to right now is you know 50 million and you know 300 million we'll see you know where that goes but it's still important as long as the the uh, current CBA stays uh, locked in and the way it is, it's still going to come through as, um, you know, as 35% of the cap and that 35%, that's not necessarily changing, right? It is, uh, um, you know, in a spot where it is just, you know, it is 
35% is 35%. Just, you know, as the, the baseline number, the constant continue, or I guess not constant, but, but the variable continues to change. That's what's changing. But yeah, that, that's, that's where I tried to hammer that home at the end is like, yeah, those numbers are eye popping and they're crazy. And, and you're like, Holy cow, but we got to really start pushing people more with the NBA. Got to think about it in percentage of the cap. I know the other sports, somewhat they kind of think about it that way in the nfl and i hear that being referred to more and more but they don't have the same max uh uh, restrictions like the nba does where it turns turns out to be slightly different but but i think we're going to start seeing you know any salary cap sport you're going to start seeing percentage of the cap become as important as the overall number because the overall numbers are just they're just so absolutely massive yep absolutely all right let's shift to the off-season recaps, you did two already, Atlantic and Pacific. We're going to start with the Atlantic recap, which at the top is the Boston. Uh, not the Boston, Boston. <laughs> and uh, we're going to go through a biggest move and what work is left to be done for each team. If you want to go read the rest of the breakdown that Keith has done, so uh, please feel free to go find those articles on SpotTrack.com. So starting with Boston – what was their biggest move? Yeah, li- literally and figuratively, it was trading for Kristaps Porzingis, and uh, they 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 went big uh, in that move. Um, you know, they they traded away the heart and soul of the team, uh, Marcus Smart, to go get Porzingis, and uh, they're they're making a big bet uh, with the trade and with the uh, sixty million dollar two year extension that they added on that Porzingis will stay healthy and uh, he'll he'll. Um, you know, be, be there. That also uh, was part of uh, Grant Williams leaving uh, the mounting payroll that was coming up. Uh, the Celtics didn't didn't want to lock into a new deal with Grant Williams, so so he's out the door. So yeah, so Smart and Williams out. Um, you know, two uh, major players for the Celtics, two two big time uh, uh, you know parts of what they've grown into becoming a you know year in year out title contender are out the door. And now Porzingis is in, and you know this is one where you got to kind of really hope you got this right. Otherwise you're hitting a major reset in a couple of years. If, if uh, he can't stay healthy and he's not a good fit with the team. Yeah. But I, I, from my standpoint, I'm glad Boston's at least trying to take a, a, a risk, whether it's mm-hmm. you know, calculated or it's going to be a detriment. I, at least they're making a move to try to do something to shake up the roster, to get over the hump that they've, uh, you know, they're trying to win that championship. So I, I I'm glad that they're at least taking that chance. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And one of the things that, you know, I've seen some people say is, well, they've done stuff the last few years. And that's that's definitely true. They added Derek White a couple of years ago. They traded for Malcolm Brogdon last year. But they always did those moves without ever touching the core, right? They, they never moved one of the core guys. And of the core guys, that's, you know, Tatum, Brown, Smart, uh, Al Horford and some would, I guess, include Robert Williams in there. Um, they'd never done anything with, with moving one of those guys. Now what you're seeing is this was the first time they said, all right, you know what? We're, we're going to move one of the core guys We're we're going to do, um, something different from what we've done in years past. And now we're, we're in a spot where it is. Yeah. Where we, we went into the core and moved smart and we're, we're going. And in a lot of ways that's putting more on Tatum and Brown to say, all right, we need more playmaking and leadership from you guys. And, and the Porzingis move is also coverage for Al Horford. Great season last year, but got to face it. You know, he's, he's, 
getting old. You know, he's, he's do who knows how many more uh, great seasons he's going to have. And Porzingis can do a lot of similar things to what Horford can. And he's a better fit with the way Joe Missoula wants to play offensively um, with, with, you know, they want to shoot threes. They want to, they want to pace. They want to do all those sorts of things. So, so I, I think it's, you know, one of those things where this is, you know, this is a very interesting trade because of the structure of it, but I'm with you on, you know, Boston had to do something. The biggest need was lock Jalen Brown up. So yep. what is the next thing that Boston needs to do? Yeah. You got to figure out what they're going to do with Malcolm Brogdon They're You know, they, they were, he was originally in the trade for Porzingis. And then the Clippers uh, said, whoa, we don't like, you know, the health issues. We know he's got a torn ligament, you know, in around his elbow, uh, area that he's working on the Celtics continue to say they expect he'll be healthy to start the season um you know and they'll see and they, they need to repair that relationship get him healthy get him on the court because they because they really need him or they need to find another trade uh to move him out and to get him replaced uh in 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 the order of things so we'll see you know kind of where that comes together and how that ends up working out and then beyond that it's just about filling out the roster spot and that'll be you know, probably likely a veteran signing and filling out their their other two-way spot but it's malcolm brogdon is a big big question is either you, you fix that relationship get them healthy or you need to find another trade biggest move for the brooklyn nets this offseason yeah, re-signing Cam Johnson. They 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 saw him as a huge part of that Kevin Durant trade, right? You know, Mikhail Bridges get all the headlines and deservedly so. He's a great player, but getting uh, Johnson in that deal was huge for the Nets. Those are kind of their one and one A guys uh, moving forward. And I, you know, you talk to anybody there, they love those two guys. So getting him re-signed, uh, four years, ninety four point five million dollars. You know that that's great. Again, we talked about it earlier with you know Jalen Brown and everything but that's really good value for Cam Johnson uh moving forward you know, getting him less than 100 million dollars you know huge the structure is good too it's a uh, like a descending sort of contract it kind of goes goes uh down and then back up again um so they 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 did a nice job putting themselves in position to be in a uh, uh good spot moving forward what do the nets need to do next yeah, they're still a little bit light on shooting. They added Lonnie Walker um, on a, a really nice value you know, veteran minimum signing. Uh, they're taking a, an upside shot on Darius Baisley. Maybe something pops there. Dennis Smith Jr. comes in. I'm going to make a you know, minor prediction here. I think Dennis Smith Jr. will be their starting point guard uh, by the end of the year. I think they're they're either going to move on from Spencer Dinwiddie or they'll move Dennis Smith Jr. into that role. I think he's really coming along, and I think he's going to fit the way they want to play and defense and all the other things and funnel shots to other guys, but that's just a minor thing. So add another shooter here. Let's see what it looks like there. Roster's getting a little bit full, but but they're, they're in a spot where, you know, one more guy, you know, kind of finds himself sitting out there. We'll see. And then it's not really a move, but what's going to happen with Ben Simmons? You know, is he going to be ready to go for the start of the year? Is he going to stay ready? Is he going to be productive when he does play? You know, what is that going to look like uh, moving forward? Yeah, multi-million dollar question right there. New York Knicks, biggest move of this offseason. Uh, the New York Knicks, sorry, my daughter was delivering me an iced coffee, which was much needed this morning. Um, <laughs> so I get a little distracted. Uh, biggest move, they, the Knicks had a pretty quiet uh, uh, offseason. They got uh, Dante DiVincenzo, though, c- coming in. Um, they, they, in effect, went big for small. They traded um, 
uh, Obi Toppin, sent him out in a trade to the Indiana Pacers, and then brought in DiVincenzo. Um, getting him for the MLE is good work. He's a productive player. They, But they're a little crowded now on the wing guard guard spot. They've got him. They've got, obviously, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, uh, who's also rumored to be uh, looking at an extension. They've got uh, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, uh, Evan Fournier. Um, that, that's a very crowded uh, spot there. But uh, you could deal from a position of strength. Hopefully, the backup power forward spot's a little weak. But we'll see you know, what comes together with that because it's um, – you know, they, they don't have a spot where it is. Um, or let me, let me rephrase that. They don't play that guy a lot. It is mostly, um, uh, Julius Randall. there getting 35, 38 minutes a night. And then they kind of go from there. So they'll, they'll fill that spot one way or another and just kind of go forward from there. Work to do. Got to trade Evan Fournier, um, you know, or or at least attempt to. Um, like I said, you do need to get someone for ten to twelve minutes a game behind Julius Randle, and you want to be be uh, you know, uh, safe if Randle gets hurt and goes down. You, you right now, there's just nothing at that position. I don't even know how they would uh, fill it. They'd either go you know, with a center playing uh, more more minutes alongside you know. Um, uh, Mitchell Robinson, or they go really small and I guess, you know, move RJ Barrett up and start Josh Hart and kind of play four out around one, one big, and then uh, extension talks with Emmanuel quickly. Let's see how those come together. Uh, not, nothing's been reached yet, but, but the presumption is that'll get done here before the start of the regular season. Can we talk Josh Hart real quick? Yeah. I think that's a work to be done too. Yes. I mean, he, he opted into his player option, which a lot of people scratched their heads. And now it's sort of people I listen to or read, they're like, why isn't, why hasn't this extension been done after him opting into the player option? What is your sense with the Josh Hart situation? Do you think they will do an extension or is it better financially if he just waits until free agency next year what do you think yeah i i think that opt-in was done knowing an extension's coming and josh hart's not the kind of guy who's going to cash in so massively that it's really worth him waiting uh in, into the off season like there, there's just no real reason for that so so i think you're in a spot with him where it's just you know let's uh get, get you you know, locked in here, uh, get get that done. And that'll probably happen here anytime now. The the deals like that where they're a veteran extension, it's not a max extension, it's not a rookie scale extension. There's no real clock on that. So you can kind of take that um, you know, into August, even in the September. But my guess is uh Josh Hart will not be on the floor in training camp until a uh a um extension is signed. Okay. Good to know. Philadelphia 76ers best move or biggest move of summer for them. Yeah, it hasn't really happened yet, right? Because we're waiting <laughs> on the James Harden right. Harden trade. So uh I I you know very sheepishly wrote signing Patrick Beverly, like I guess is is it so far? I mean they they you know they added Patrick Beverly, they they signed uh Mobamba, re-signed Montrez Harrell. Uh, they're adding uh Philip Petrosev is coming over from Europe. Uh, they 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 match the offer sheet for Paul Reed, so it's. But the reality is, it's it's James Harden. Like we're that that's what we're waiting on. But you know, right now, Patrick Beverly, I guess, is the the big move of the offseason. <laughs> well, and obviously, the work to do is James Harden potentially being traded. So, uh, other than that, is there anything else that the 76ers need to do? 
Yeah, pending what happens in the Harden trade is, you know, where are they, how are they going to fill out their roster? They only really have one roster spot left, so they're not in a spot where they can just go sign a bunch of guys because there's a good chance a Harden trade ends up being a two-for-one or three-for-one or some kind of unbalanced deal. Um, so you, what you can't do is sign a free agent, say, Hey, come on in, you know, we're going to have a spot for you. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, actually we don't, we're going to waive you. Um, you don't want to be in that spot. So, so they're, 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 you got to fill it out, but you know, it's going to be, you know, where, what happens with, with James Harden, you know, where, where does that all come up? But right now, as I wrote for the site, the roster just feels very unfinished. Like it feels like they're, they're very heavy in the front court. Uh, you know, Mobamba, Montres, Harrell, um, uh, Paul Reed, Philip Petrusev, all behind uh, Joel Embiid. That that's a lot of guys to have, you know, at one position, all those guys are really more um, fives than they are fours. Although we've heard Paul Reed uh, say he's been working on his jumper. He's, you know, hoping to play some minutes alongside uh, Joel Embiid at times. But for now it's all about James Harden. And uh, then you kind of figure it out from there on the fly, which is, you know, again, as we're recording this on August 1st, we're in a spot where figuring out on the fly is going to mean you're really kind of combing out of the bottom. But my guess is that's probably not going to be how it necessarily goes. Cause I think they're going to be in a spot where it is, um, this is an unbalanced trade and they bring back either two or three players uh, in place of Harden. Yeah. If, if, and when this trade happens, I mean, we could be in that uh, situation. Harden has put himself in for the last uh, two trades before this. And so, you know, we shall see what Harden does. We'll see what Daryl Morey does. Sorry. I can't imagine um, what it is going to look like if Harden's on the floor. Uh, we saw it with the Rockets. We saw it with the Nets. He'll show up because he's not going to do the whole sit out Ben Simmons style of deal. He'll show up, but that might actually be worse if he's there because we saw it with both the Rockets and the Nets. Yeah, he's out there, but he's not James Harden. Out yeah, but there, if, so he's, super if he's there and on the bench and you even, as, uh, as Nick Nurse, if you even see he's doing only 1%, you, you don't even play him anymore. You yeah, you're going to have to bench. pull him off. Yeah, yep, absolutely. You just let him yep. sit and watch. Yep. And you just yep. eat that until you can get the trade done. And, you know, exactly. at this point, the trade may not any, even end up happening until after December 15th anyways because half the yep. league is locked up on trade restrictions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to my, – my guess is unless something gets done with that Clippers type of package where it is, hey, we can give you three rotation players, a couple of them on expiring contracts because that's – that's what's making this so difficult is Philly wants good players back, but they also don't want to take on long-term money because they have this whole plan for a ton of cap space this summer. So that's, this is going to, that is a you know, really hard, if not impossible, uh, needle to thread for Daryl Morey. So I can't wait to see what that looks like. Yeah, agreed. All right, last team in the Atlantic, Toronto Raptors. Uh, interesting team thus far. Uh, biggest move of the offseason for them. Yeah, I think it was re-signing Jakob Pertl, um, you know, 78 million guaranteed over four seasons. Really good. You know, he's, he's a you know, very good, solid starting center, um, can block shots, can do some stuff as a passer, can do, you know, obviously some scoring around the basket area. Um, they traded a first round pick for him last year at the deadline. So you had to get him re-signed. So getting him re-signed was big. 
they got nice value signings in Dennis Schroeder, who became a real kind of necessary signing after losing Fred Van Wheat. Jalen McDaniels is a you know relative bargain, you know, for the biennial exception. And then Grady Dick was a solid value pick in the middle of the first round. But you know, none none of those are, you know, so massive of contracts or anything that they they touch, you know, what re-signing Pirtle meant to this team. What do they have left to do now? Anything? Yeah, I you know wrote this very sarcastically. They have approximately eighty-seven forwards, a few centers, and only two guards. But it, it's 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 not quite that drastic. But it kind of gives you a sense of Pretty this close. team is you know super unbalanced. Like it's it's just you know silly the number of players. Now they can get away with it a little bit because uh, excuse me, uh, Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes are are forwards that you can run the offense through quite a bit. But it's it's just it's a little messy, you know. With, with that, they're light on shooting. Uh, they really need Grady Dick to come through uh, and hit shots. Gary Trent Jr. Uh, opted in, so they're going to need him to knock down uh, shots as well. There, there's still rumors about a Pascal Siakam trade, um, and it's either going to be you got to extend them or trade them. Like you, you, you know, letting it play out is is messy. OG and Anobi's in the same kind of spot he's got a player option for next season so that's another one so so there's there's all the pieces in place to be an interesting team and maybe a playoff team but everything's just it's a lot more shaky than it's been over the last couple of years so it's a work to do is just rebalance the roster you know maybe trade Siaka, maybe trade Ananobi. They'll figure out what that looks like moving forward. But I feel like the Raptors are going to be a work in progress all the way up to and including the trade deadline. Yeah, I was just going to say that this is the team that we're going to hear for three solid months leading up of what player or two players or three players are coming off this roster via the trade deadline. (laughs) Just Uh, like a year ago. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Um, Which of these five teams that we just went through at the Atlantic do you think comes – divisions are, you know, far – not even cared about with getting into the playoffs, but from a, and I know you're not a betting man, but from a betting perspective, which team comes out of the Atlantic at the top? I think it's Boston. I think they've, they've got the best collection of talent and uh, certainty on the roster. So I think it's, it's, it's hard to pick anybody, but them, um, if it was going to be somebody else, you know, let's see what Philly does in a hardened trade. You know, they've still got Joel and B they've still got other really good players. So they could, uh, get themselves in a position where they end up, uh, uh, being, you know, t- taking a, a jump up the, the standings. Brooklyn's in a little bit of transition. We saw they fell off some after they made their big trades. I think their future is very bright. Um, we'll see. Toronto's kind of kind of messy. And then the Knicks are are just good. They're they're just solid. Like I think the Knicks are definitely a playoff team. I just don't have them quite on that level of what Boston is at. And then where Philadelphia could could be if they nail the Harden trade. All right. Pacific, starting with the Golden State Warriors. They actually made some decent moves. I get, or I don't know if decent's the right word, but they, they've made moves in preparation for uh, what is to come with the super tax, the deep into the tax. So what was their biggest move this offseason? 
Yeah, with the Warriors, it was re-signing Draymond Green. It's you know they 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 had to do that. Um, it, it was one of those things where we heard some rumors leading up that you know oh maybe they're gonna gonna do something different. Maybe they're gonna go in a different direction. But they had to get Draymond Green uh, re re-signed. It, it, it did make sense for them to lose him. Did make sense for him to leave them. And then right after that, it was about you know shedding the uh, um, the um, the 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 trade the contract for Jordan Poole um you know and in bringing in Chris Paul I know that sounds you know huge but I just I think you know none of that really even remotely matters unless you get Draymond Green re-signed and that that was you know the key thing on the summer for the Warriors so knowing that they're super taxed deep into the tax what do they have left to do yeah, they got to fill out their roster. They they you know added Dario Saric, um, so that that was you know good addition for them. I think that was kind of a sneaky signing, um, by them at the end of their bench. They're they're limited to minimums and all those sorts of things. They've already signed their draft picks and all that. So, uh, so we'll see. Uh, Lester Quinones uh, resigned on a on a two way spot. Um, they've got a couple more two way spots to fill out, but. I think, you know, maybe try to add one more shooter uh, to this team. It sounds weird saying the Warriors need shooting because they have Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson still, but that's kind of it for, you know, shooting you feel really good about uh, on this team. Chris Paul's been kind of a shaky shooter over the last couple of seasons. Brandon Pajemski is a rookie. Moses Moody hasn't quite gotten there yet, so we'll see what that looks like. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, we'll see. And then, just, I'm not saying that's going to happen now because I don't think it is. But let's see how this works into the season. Chris Paul's essentially an expiring thirty million dollar contract, um, which makes him extremely tradable for any team that's like sitting there, kind of saying, "Hey, we you want to do it?" Think of him as almost uh, this year's Russell Westbrook in a way where it's like, "Hey, we can get some assets and you know move some salary and do some stuff and getting in there." So I'm, I'm very curious to see what uh, ends up happening with Chris Paul. I'm guessing. He doesn't finish the season on the Warriors. I think he'll be traded somewhere else, and then we'll see how it kind of comes together from there. Okay. The L.A. Clippers, biggest move of the offseason for them. <laughs> yeah, the Clippers <laughs> are basically just running it back. Yeah, right? they, they are, you know, I know. They, yeah, as of now, I mean, they, they've they brought back, back 15 guys from last year. That includes a two, two-way guy um, there. And then uh, they added Kobe Brown at the draft. And then they added uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. So it's uh, – I think the biggest move is resigning Russell Westbrook. Just they didn't have anything at the point guard position. So I think um, – bringing him back was was obviously massive for them uh they got him for just under eight million over the next two years so i think that's a pretty uh pretty good solid value for what he brings he was a really good fit there he was you could argue after he joined the team he you can argue he was their best player uh through the playoffs as well but kenny martin jr was huge you know getting him for just second round pick draft rights to a guy who's probably never coming over to the nba that's huge. They needed to add some athleticism uh, to this team. Their their front court is extremely ground bound. It's you know Mason Plumley who was resigned. Nice solid value uh, contract from Mason Plumley. Ivica Zubac is good. That's good solid center minutes. But then everybody else, it's like guys like Dick Batum, Robert Covington. Those are are uh, more stationary players. So getting uh, Martin gives them a guy who can be a rim threat. He's a guy who can really run the floor, get up for some lobs and those sorts of things. So I thought that that was really, really, uh, you know, solid work by the Clippers. 
my my work to do with the LA Clippers is work on getting healthy and staying healthy. But from a roster construction standpoint, what work do they have left to do, if anything? Yeah, I hear you. The health is the the <laughs> biggest thing, and it sounds like this year. I think last year was a real eye opener for the Clippers, where they 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 basically did everything they could to. Um, let guys kind of rest and sit and try to get there. And then they still weren't healthy come, come playoffs. Paul George got hurt late in the year. Kawhi Leonard got hurt in the playoffs. So I think you're going to see them value the regular season a little bit more. I think you're going to see them push guys a little bit harder uh, here. Not obviously not to play through injuries, but just less rest days. But the big question that's remaining, should they trade for James Harden or not? Right. You got to figure it out. You're going to have to um, trade some, some guys, not necessarily your most key rotation guys, but it's going to sap your depth a little bit. If you trade some of those guys, you're going to be in a position where some of those guys are, it's going to hurt you to lose them. So, so that's going to turn into a spot, you know, just knowing their injury history over the years. Um, do you want to give up that depth you've built up over the last uh, few seasons for, you know, James Harden? And then after that, there's nothing really to do. They, they've got a full roster. They've got a good roster. So we'll see. I mean, if they don't make a Harden trade, this is the team that they're going to go into the season with. If they make a Harden trade, maybe they open up a roster spot or two and they'll have to fill it out. But we'll see as that kind of comes together. Los Angeles Lakers, biggest move for their offseason – yeah, I was re-signing Austin Reeves. He they 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 re-signed all of their important guys. D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura came back on uh uh solid value deals. They added Gabe Vincent on a very nice contract as well. Um, but Austin Reeves was he, he was the guy. We all thought there might be a hundred million dollar offer sheet coming for him. That didn't end up happening. So Lakers get him for a four-year deal that starts basically at the non-taxpayer MLE. That's great value for a guy who, whether he starts or comes off the bench, um, he's equally productive in both roles. He's just huge for them. So I'm I'm really curious to see, uh, you know, what he continues to grow and become uh, with this team and just, you know, incredible value contract moving forward. They didn't have to match that, you know, hundred million dollar offer sheet, which would have come with the arenas provision and then the poison pill, which would have, you know, been 12 million, 12 million, and then like, you know, 35 million or whatever it would have been in the final year and those sorts of things. So, you know, the Lakers are in, are in a really good place with, with Reeves and getting him back. Yeah. He's going to be exciting to watch over the next few years mm-hmm. and see what ends up happening, if whether he's still on that Lakers roster for the long term or not. Uh, what is left to do for the Lakers? It's just now it's about filling out. Ah, their roster. They've got they've got a couple standard roster spots left to fill out. My guess is they're probably going to leave one of those spots open for a little bit. We'll see if that's you know to, to convert a player um, on a two way contract. I know they really really are high on Colin Castleton, uh, who played well um, on a two way, kind of taking the Austin Reeves path. And by the way, shares an agent with Austin Reeves as well. Um, so so that that's something to to really you know take a look at. And then from there, um, it, it's just about adding one more guy. I, I, I know, and I know all Lakers fans are in this boat. Everybody would like to see them add one more big, uh, just so Anthony Davis isn't forced to play you know, 35 minutes a night at the center position. So we'll see what that looks like. But it's starting to get a little light on bigs. They meant, been mentioned with Christian Wood, who I think could be a uh, a really good addition to to their roster if he's willing to take a minimum, because that's all they have left to offer out there. But But we'll see what that looks like. 
The Phoenix Suns did a lot of work, and they had to do a lot of work <laughs> because they had almost nobody on their roster after <laughs> uh, making some trades. So what is the biggest move of the offseason for them? Yeah, I mean, Phoenix, just you know, just to, to put it in perspective, they're returning only seven players from last year's team, and one of those guys is a two-way player in Saban Lee. So uh, now when it's Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and uh, De- DeAndre Aiden are three of the seven guys you're bringing back, you're in pretty good shape. But obviously, their biggest move, trading Chris Paul for Bradley Beal. Nothing's going to touch that. That is just an absolute massive uh, move you know, there. That's a, that's the all-in move, right? It's They're going to play Bradley Beal as their point guard. Uh, you know, you're going to see him, Booker, and Durant all handle the ball a lot. It's going to be, be a very interesting uh, structure, how they put this together. Do, does that work? Um, I think they can make it work because all three of those guys have played with other stars before, and all three can play um, off the ball. My big question now, uh, after the Beal trade, how do you make sure DeAndre Ayton gets enough touches that he stays engaged, he stays motivated, he you know, wants to do all the things you need him to do? Because as this roster is structured right now, they really, really need DeAndre Ayton to not only be engaged, but to be really, really good. And it sounds like Frank Vogel really wants to keep him to see. Yeah. He thinks he can really do some damage with DeAndre Ayton in, in that spot. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing if that can come to fruition, because if so, that's not a super three team. That is a super four team. And yeah. then they, they, they did a really nice job of filling in the cracks with the minimum valued players. So, you know, that could be, you know, it's, it's going to be the team to watch, but it's going to be fun to see them in the long run of how good can they be for how long. Um, outside of if Aiton doesn't work and they end up trading him, what else, what other work do they need to do? You don't have a lot to, to do, you know, fill out your, your two way spots. Um, you know, that that's kind of it because as you mentioned, you know, they, they added a lot of talented guys on uh, minimum contracts, Utah Watanabe, Keita Bates, Diop, uh, Drew Eubanks. Those are all guys who are going to play major rotation roles. Eric Gordon comes in. And if you have you know any kind of injury issues with Devin Booker, or Bradley Veal, Gordon's kind of a nice guy to just kind of plug and play in those spots. Chemezi Metu had moments. Bowl, bowl, we'll see. You know, it's uh, here in Orlando where I live, they call it the bowler coaster because it was a, uh, it was, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs in, in, in that stretch. So we'll see what it looks like with him. But for a team that had, you know, only a late second round draft pick and nothing else to do because they were so far over the, the second tax apron, um, they were in a position to just, uh, you know, sign minimum contracts and they did a great job doing it. So now it's really, it's the work to do falls on Frank Vogel, right? It's on him of uh, turning this group into a team. My guess is this is going to be a team that it's going to be, you know, let's say we get to, you know, uh, Thanksgiving-ish and they're going to be like, you know, 500, couple games above 500. And people are going to be like, oh man, the Suns blew it. And then they'll probably rip off a stretch where they go something like 20 and four. And then it'll be like, oh, I guess they are okay. And that just tends to be how it goes when these teams make uh, these kind of massive Changes all at once. Sacramento Kings, biggest move of the off, off season. <clears throat> Sorry, I was clearing my throat. Um, uh, renegotiated and extending DeMontis Sabonis. Um, they did a lot of stuff 
this summer. And most of it was designed around um, retaining their, their own guys as they're coming off their first uh, uh, playoff appearance and, you know, a big decade and a half or so. Um, but renegotiating extending Sabonis was the biggest one out of all those. They could have let that play out to go to free agency and just handed them the big contract then, but they took care of it now. And I thought they, you know, did a good job kind of, um, you know, maneuvering to get to the cap space to be able to do that. Um, that, that, that's huge. So I think we're in a spot with, you know, Sabonis, uh, you know, renegotiating and extending, uh, extending Harrison Barnes for a second time. And then, uh, re-signing Trey Lyles. Those were also big. And then bringing over Sasha Vezinkov six years after he was drafted, but he's become, you know, an MVP level guy over in Europe. Uh, he's going to come in and be a rotation forward right away. So you add those guys to the core of, you know, Fox and Keegan Murray and uh, Kevin Herter. And then you've got uh, Malik Monk still. This is really good, deep uh, Sacramento team. They're, they're really uh, solid. And I, I think, you know, these are the kind forget, of moves in the past. Don't Duarte too. Yes. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see what that looks like uh, well, with him. He, he was a mess last season. And that Indiana team had a, you know, they, they're the opposite of Toronto where, you know, Toronto has, you know, 900 forwards. They had 900 wings that they were trying to play. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if they can, uh, you know, get Duarte to be a 15, 20 minute a night guy. That's a great fill in behind Herder, uh, behind the other forwards on the wing spot. They'll, they'll be really solid, but these are the moves the Kings haven't done enough of in the past. They've, uh, you know, extended the wrong guys. They've, you know, said, no, what, let's try to, you know, go big with cap space and do all these crazy things. And this was just, a, you know, continuing a uh, string of solid transactions by following them up with other solid transactions. And that's how you kind of, you know, turn that playoff appearance from a blip into a whole new streak of playoff appearances. What's left for them to do then? Yeah. I'd like to see them add one more point guard, uh, to to the mix, it's really Fox and Davian Mitchell, and then you know they've got other guys that can do it. Um, and you're not super worried about it because they run a ton of the offense through Sabonis anyway. But I would like to see them maybe add one more point guard, just a veteran guy who can be kind of there in case you know if a guy rolls an ankle and is out for two weeks, you you're not having to overtax uh, one of the other two guys. They're very, very far under the luxury tax. They're about $21.6 million under the tax. So they can take on money in, in deals if they need to uh, this in-season, you know, up to the trade deadline. So they're in a really good good position. So I think, you know, their front court group is deep and good. Their wing group is pretty good. So, you know, maybe add, you know, that one more point guard and kind of go, go with it from there. Um, but, yeah, this is a team, you know, weird to say, but one of the more, you know, just kind of rock solid rosters in the NBA, given their history as, as what the Kings have been over the last several years. All right. Out of these five Pacific teams, who will be the top of the Pacific, you think? Because they this is slammed together. With <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to be the best division in the NBA you know, as it stands right now. Because I think you're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, man, all, all five of these teams could be yeah. playoff teams. And it's it's tough. I you know, there's part of me that wants to pick the veteran groups with the Lakers, the Clippers, the the Warriors. But I think they're all kind of in the point, even though I said the Clippers are likely to value the regular season more. I think they're all kind of, hey, just get in the top six. We don't need to be one or two or even three. Um, I think Phoenix has got 
something to prove. So I think you're going to see them really push hard uh, through the regular season. So I think it could be the Phoenix Suns that finish at the top. But Sacramento, just their combination of depth and youth and the fact that you look at it and they probably have the least amount of injury questions of any of these teams on their roster. It wouldn't be surprising if they were the best team in the regular season. Um, When it comes to the playoffs, though, who knows? Because this is going to be an absolute battle. Because you know, if you told me one of these uh, teams was coming out and going to represent the Western Conference in the finals and kind of knock off Denver and uh, move forward, I wouldn't argue with you too much. I, I think that's how you know how, or how highly I think of all five of these teams. All right, great stuff on these uh, recaps here, Keith. It's been really good to see everything that these teams have done. Um, so, what's next? Yeah, next uh, we get the Central Division coming. Uh, hopefully that'll be out later today. I'm um, trying, to, trying to get that that one uh, wrapped up and finished up. And then, uh, yeah, I'm holding on the uh, Southeast and the Northwest just in case the Damian Lillard trade goes down. I don't want to write a bunch of stuff about Miami and Portland and have it all be thrown away. Um, so we'll probably go next to the Southwest Division. I think those teams are a little bit more uh, finished and done with what they're going to do. So... So we'll we'll come with Central, then Southwest, and then we'll knock out the last two, the Southeast and the Northwest, at some point in the uh, uh, coming couple of weeks here. But yeah, it's it, it's crazy that you know we're 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 already into August and kind of the more dead period, but it never really stops you know anymore in the NBA. It used to be you know once you got past summer league, it was like our teams are filling out camp spots and you know maybe the occasional veteran free agent is still kind of floating out there and it links up with somebody. But for the most part, you end up in these spots now where it's like. Oh, we get a Damian Lillard trade's going to happen and a James Harden trade's going to happen. So so we'll be there to react to all of it as it goes down. Absolutely. Thanks for everything you've been doing, Keith. Uh, if you have any questions, team-related, player-related, draft pick-related, history-related, at Keith Smith NBA. Uh, Keith, thanks a lot. Looking forward to these next recaps. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.